and welcome back to the Riverdale Recap Podcast. Today we're going to be talking about the fourth episode of Riverdale Season 1, The Last Picture Show. I'm Mary Kwiatkowski and I'm joined as always by the wonderful Kirsten McKinnis. Kirsten, how are you doing today? I am doing so well. I'm excited that season one of Riverdale seems to really be picking up, and I'm just ready to break it down with you. Yeah, me too. I I like this episode. We mentioned this last time that this is one of the first episodes we get that's kind of a standalone, doesn't have a whole lot to do with the Jason Blossom murder plot line. It's kind of just a nice one-off. Yeah, I love a good (laughs) one-off. Well, we are also joined today by Hannah Elam. Hannah, how did you like this episode? Did you agree? Yeah, uh, I was messaging you guys before this and was really excited about this episode. I think that it's a, a really good one, has some fun aspects of it. Yeah, it's a fun episode and it's also one that at least by the end of it looks to be probably our last Grundy episode for a while. So that's really my least favorite plot line from season one and I'm glad that it appears to be wrapping up. Girl, bye. Get out of town. <laughs> yeah, she's she's not my favorite. It's just like the actress is fine, the character's fine, but we've talked about it. I just don't need a teenager adult romance. I don't think that the, the, the character is fine, though. There's I think there's some issues there. There's a lot of legal and moral issues with the character. <laughs> yeah, we can get into it when we start, but like, I just not, I'm not really sure. Much like how they handled all of the slut shaming stuff in the previous episode, they handle some of the Grundy stuff kind of bizarrely. So we'll talk about it. Uh, this episode, though, starts with a Jughead voiceover. Oh my gosh, who would have thought? And it's, you know, it, it can. I feel like this episode really is supposed to be showing you a little more of Jughead and his personality and his plot line. Uh, we don't actually get that much screen time with him, but the whole tone of the episode is kind of Jughead-centric. I feel like that could be said about most episodes in season one from this point forward. Which I am not complaining about. I take as much Cole Sprouse as they'll give me. Yeah, I was definitely happy to see this turn when I was watching it for the first time. So it was it was nice to get some good Jughead action. Yes, exactly. So Jughead in his voiceover, he's talking about, you know, it's been a week since the discovery of Jason's body. Ah, oh, yes, season one. We, we get <laughs> timelines and we know what's happening. But unfortunately, the Twilight Drive-In where Jughead works is closing down. And I don't know, I, maybe it's just me, but I cannot look at the sign for the Twilight Drive-In without thinking about like Twilight, the book. So yeah, yeah. I was... That was one of the things that I thought of too with the naming conventions and we see the sign I was like hmm I wonder if this is a reference to the movie Twilight but I guess it makes sense too because you can't watch a you can't go to a drive-in and watch a movie while it's light outside so you have to go at the dark have either of you ever been to a drive-in yes yes (laughs) wow consensus yes you have (laughs) have you Mary I I went a lot when I was a kid there was one near where I grew up when I was really really little like under five years old and I mostly remember from that like there would be We would go to double features and the first movie would be some sort of kids movie and then we would end up falling asleep by the time the adult movie was started. So we'd just be sleeping in the back of the car. Um, And then I've only been one time when I was older, I think in high school, I went on a date to one, which was really cute. Actually, that might have been college, maybe freshman year of college. Um, But it was really cute. It was really fun. And it was very, uh, it kind of cracked me up though, because the person I went with, they clearly had never been to a drive-in before and they knew that you were going to need to have your car running to like have the radio. Because it's the kind where, the kind we went to, you, you use the radio radio in your car to listen to the audio you they didn't have some have like little radios next to the cars that you can kind of like pay money or plug your car into but this one you needed a radio and they they thought you could just bring like a radio yourself and they brought a crank radio and i'm like dude we can't be cranking the radio by hand the whole time it was 
was so adorable. So I just said like, oh, if you have jumper cables, it's fine. Just turn the car on. If the battery dies, we'll just jump the car. So it was adorable. That is really adorable. I have not been to a drive-in since I was very, very young. I know we went to a double feature. I don't remember the second movie, but I do know the first movie was Cats and Dogs, which you may or may not remember. I do remember Cats and Dogs. But... I saw that at a drive-in theater. <laughs> Fun times. Yeah. I The most recent time I went, I saw Frozen. And that is when it had just come out. And it was in the winter. So we saw Elf and Frozen was the double feature. And when I was younger, the only movies I really remember seeing was the Rugrats movie. Oh, saw nice. that. Good time. I've never seen that movie. I wasn't allowed to watch the Rugrats. Was that when they go to Tokyo? <laughs> um, It wasn't. No, the one we saw, that's like the second Rugrats movie. The first one, they, they're in like a jungle at some point because I know there's monkeys and they sing a song and Reptar comes to life. <laughs> <laughs> the last time that I went to a drive-in, I saw the Guardians of the Galaxy 2. Uh, there's a Stila- Starlight drive-in uh, around Virginia Tech and I went to that one. But they have speakers outside of the cars, but then they got complaints from the town and they weren't able to use it. So then you had to use your car and that was super annoying but the first time I went it was a really enjoyable experience and I saw Inside Out for the first time and I love that movie I'm a really big Disney fan yeah that's funny that like most of the movies we've seen have been I don't know arguably kids movies but well, to be fair I had went when I was a child and then never again yeah <laughs> and also I feel like even if it's like even if you advertise that's gonna be a PG-13 movie or something it'd be kind of weird to watch on a really big screen outdoors in public it's I don't like know a, a about sex that. scene comes up and you're like uh, 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 <laughs> well, I wasn't ready yeah. Yeah. It just reminds me of there was a lounge with really big projector screens that you could hook up to like a DVD player in my dorm in college. And me and my mom were in there watching Game of Thrones. And like we didn't realize. With your mom? It, it, yeah. Like I, we, me and my mom, we chill. But we were watching Game of Thrones. And I forgot that like the wall in the hallway that you would pass by is like a glass. It's like glass windows. And it was only once we started watching Game of Thrones that I remembered like, oh, this might be kind of weird to be watching in the hallway. <laughs> Um, well, we just had a discussion at my job about possibly replacing cable in the student lounges with Chromecasts. And I was like, we cannot put Chromecasts on every TV because it's <laughs> going to be pandemonium and people are going to put porn up on them. We're not going to know who put the porn up yeah. and it's going to be mad. I was like, it would be an unmitigated disaster, like in a meeting at work. <laughs> Plus, you can just interrupt it. So, you know, people would be like playing music and then someone else would just like hijack it and yeah. put YouTube on themselves. Oh, yeah. We do that in our own house. I love that. You like in a different room and then you change what's on TV. Love that. And that is why we can't have nice things. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, so Jughead's sad because the drive-in is going to be closing down and him and Betty and Veronica and Kevin, they're hanging out at Pops and Veronica doesn't understand why anyone would want to watch a movie in a car anyway, which typical Veronica doesn't understand and nice town things. Um, And my favorite part of this scene is Jughead makes a Tarantino reference and Kevin speaks for all of us <laughs> when he says, please, no more Tarantino references. Yeah, Jughead is too much with his like movie references and things like that and then when they ask like who wants to go <laughs> Jughead's like a uh, cinephiles car enthusiasts which I get the sentiment it's a, like <laughs> that's not where car enthusiasts go you know I feel like people don't necessarily bring their old-timey cars like I see old-timey car conventions all the time there's some that happen in my town but like it's not the same thing yeah the you know I really like cars I'm enthused by them you might say <laughs> and I love going to a dark place where I can't fully see the cars uh <laughs> (laughs) (laughs) when I'm interested in seeing them. Uh, Also, I'm not a car enthusiast. (laughs) 
(laughs) just for honesty's sake. I think (sighs) when he first said the word cinephile, though, I was like, where is he going with this? And then I was like, ah, cinematics, movies. That's where we're going. (laughs) Jughead's the only person who would use the word cinephile, though, instead of being like movie lovers. (laughs) Right, (laughs) right. Can you see Jughead saying movie lovers? Nobody should. Like a normal person. I would love if Jughead would talk like a normal person, but (laughs) I, uh, spoiler alert, he never starts. Yeah. Um, The other great thing about about this scene is at some point, Veronica storms out and Kevin's just like, what was it like before she got here? I honestly cannot remember. (laughs) This is one of my favorite lines. Well, we can't either because we don't actually know what Riverdale like was like without Veronica. I just assume it was yeah. boring and safe. <laughs> exactly. Uh, so that's that's really it for Jughead for a long time until he comes back and he he goes he goes around town to and sort of is just like yelling at a bunch of adults throughout the episode, um, confronting them. So he confronts Mayor McCoy about why the drive-in is getting torn down because we don't really know, and we find out that some anonymous buyer has bought the land that the drive is currently on and Mayor McCoy says that you know like the the place is kind of a dark spot I guess on the town and she wants to get rid of the you know petty criminal activities that are happening there and Jughead tells this really sweet story I guess about how him and his sister used to sneak in in the trunk of his parents car because you had to pay usually per person and they couldn't afford that and so him and his sister would watch movies at the drive-in it was kind of cute but also I'm kind of like why are you telling the mayor of the town something semi-illegal that you used to do it's kind of funny it's also like, yeah, it's really cute to sneak into the drive-in. Why couldn't they hide in the backseat under a blanket? Why do they have to get in the <laughs> trunk of a, the car? Like, that's not safe. Their parents should absolutely not have let them get into the trunk of the car. Yeah, well, it also made me think, I don't know if you guys are big fans of the movie Grease, but that was my favorite movie growing up. And there are certain things that I didn't really understand when I watched it for the first time that I only understood when I watched it when I was a lot older. And one of them is like, when they go to the drive-in, they open the trunk and like two or three like grown kids like you know it's set in high school so like high schoolers like getting out of the trunk of the car at the drive-in also so they didn't have to pay definitely a thing yeah but those are teenagers teenagers <laughs> don't fit under a blanket in the back seat but this like came across as them being a lot younger and I I, I just find it troubling to think of uh, their parents being like yeah hop in the trunk but yeah so Jughead after his confrontation with the mayor he goes and confronts Fred because he finds out that Fred Andrews is the one who's you know construction crew is tearing down the drive-in and it's like this is so not Fred Andrews fault don't be going to him he's just like the one you know he's like the middleman just filling out the or um you know following through on his job and like I don't know why like this is his best friend's dad he shouldn't be trying to take work away from him and if uh if Fred Andrews didn't do it just someone else probably would well and in this that scene the most important thing and probably the source of the actual tension between Jughead's family and Archie's family is that we find out Archie dad fired Jughead's dad from working for his company. So that's probably more so the source of all of the the drama. Yes, and the answer we get here is that uh, Mr. Jones was apparently taking material away from a job site and that's why he got fired? Theft. Right. So, and other than that, that's like really all we know at the beginning of this episode about Jughead's family. That and the fact that he has a sister named Jellybean is really all we it's not have a name. so far. Yeah, well, neither is Jughead, so. Good point. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so until, until we get to the very end of the episode that's pretty much most of the screen time Jughead has he's a couple little scenes with Archie that we'll get to later but most of that is is you know what Jughead does he 
he's kind of in his own world just trying to get people to go to this closing night of the drive-in. I don't really think he's going to save the drive-in by doing that, more of a farewell. Yeah, I think that he more so just wants it to be like, this place is appreciated and the town loves it, not like, oh yeah, we're gonna save it. He just doesn't want it to go out with a whimper. Yes. Okay, so I guess we can talk about Archie now. Archie is just head over heels for Miss Grundy for, I don't know what reason. Like, I I get- Sex, because he's a teenage boy and she had sex with him. Right, but I feel like he could probably get sex from other girls who are his own age. Well, but I mean, he's now used to a woman with experience. Mm-hmm. Well, that's, uh, okay. No, we'll talk about it. <laughs> so Fred and Archie, they're at some kind of performance for Miss Grundy that's, I guess, like in a gazebo or something. I don't know. I, like, I appreciate string music. I really do. But they're both just like, oh my gosh, she's incredible. She's the best musician ever. I mean, she was like fine, but she wasn't, wasn't blowing me away by any, she wasn't any, you know, she's not two cellos. She wasn't doing a great job. The thing that's funny about her too is that every time we see her in the school, I felt like she was always playing the cello. And I was thinking, I don't know that I've ever seen a music teacher like walked by the music room and the music teacher is just playing music. Just <laughs> This girl is in love that's with her cello. That's what they do cello. in their downtime, Hannah. <laughs> Doesn't she have grading to do? Or right. like other teenagers to harass? What do you mean grading? Like grading papers? I don't <laughs> know. Like do, maybe people had to write out like some sheet music or something to show that they know You definitely get it. graded in music class. I don't know. I never took music class. I don't have any talents. I didn't really. I never had to like write papers for music or anything. Like I don't think it's like a, it's not like an essay or something but I feel like when they're teaching you like how to read sheet music a part of testing that would be like dictate. You don't get in high school most people aren't getting taught how to read sheet music. You usually already know. Well I don't know. I told you I don't have any talents. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. I mean I took band but like my band teacher he didn't he was never like just chilling in the classroom playing instruments and he was never great. Like he would usually be in his office. I mean maybe he would be planning marching band stuff or whatever or like picking music or something but he's not he's not grading anything that I remember I don't know I don't know what they do in their free time but yeah so so Archie goes to Pops with Fred and Geraldine Grundy which is just super awkward and of course Betty found out from the last episode that uh, Archie and Miss Grundy were at the river together on 4th of July so she's kind of suspicious about him at this point and so they go and speak outside at Pops and Archie basically just tells her the truth of what's going on he's like yeah I'm I'm with Miss Grundy (laughs) deal with it and uh, and she brings up like what everyone is thinking like this is illegal why are you why are we why are we just skipping past the legality factor here and then veronica comes out and overhears the archie saying that he and grundy are together and she asks him what is she to him a booty tutor (laughs) people really get to the good questions of asking archie where like what is she to you where do you actually see this going in this episode and really get him to think this is not a good idea to be with this this adult person who's supposed to be your teacher but he doesn't care He's well, blinded. no one is buying that. Yeah, it's like they literally, they don't seem to have anything in common. They make out sometimes. And I understand that there's like the music connection, but it seems like Betty and Veronica and everyone else in the world seems down with his musical career. So he doesn't need her for, for that, really. I'm just going to need you to never say musical connection ever again. <laughs> 
Thank you. <laughs> anyway. But yeah, so Archie's worried that Betty is going to write about him and Miss Grundy in the paper, which I guess like fair concern, but also Betty's like in love with you. So I don't think she's going to do anything that's going to upset you to that extent. Which is what Jughead says. Yeah, basically. And Jughead's like, bro, look, why are we talking about your romantic problems when we could be, I don't know, saving the drive-in? So. <laughs> it's crazy how Jughead knows Betty so much better than Archie does. And yeah. Archie and Betty are apparently the ones who've been best friends this whole time. Well, it's because it's that whole thing of like, I'm the third party. I'm the one who's observing my friends, you know, growing up. You you get the feeling Jughead's more of a sit back and observe kind of person. And then, yeah, so Jughead is talking to him and he says, I understand that you guys want to be together. I'm trying to hold on to something a lot older than me too, which is just <laughs> great. I didn't catch that the first time around, but it's my favorite line from Jughead this episode. Uh, but yeah, Archie, he decides, you know what? It doesn't matter what everyone else says. I'm in love. So he goes on a date with Grundy at her house because they can't go out in public together, I guess. And they're watching like a reel-to-reel movie. I, I don't understand why. I get it you that she they can't go together to the drive-in, but can't they just watch like a normal movie? Why do right. they need to be watching like a silent film? They, they want it to feel like a drive-in, okay? Mm. And I... Also to make us as uncomfortable as possible. So I have two different images in my head of people makeshift drive-in dates in other TV shows. I'm pretty sure that at some point someone does that in Smallville. And I'm also pretty sure that at some point someone does that in Gilmore Girls. Like, I think Christopher maybe takes Lorelai on like a Gilmore Girls. Oh, they yeah. watch on the side of a barn. They watch Casablanca. Yeah. Yeah, I'm pretty sure they do a very similar thing in Smallville as well. So th- I'm just saying, Archie could have gotten her a lot closer to a drive-in. Yeah, than but they just can't watching a movie leave house. the house or be together outside because if anyone sees them together, it's like, uh, what you doing? What's happening here? Yeah. I just think he could have done a better job. That's Plus, all. she well, yeah, has to take okay. off her glasses on their dates so that she can look younger <laughs> and oh, better. So people um, can't recognize her when she has her glasses on. Like, you know. Also, oh, um, can't. Archie can't do anything well, and I think we need to. <laughs> establish that right now like he could do better at literally everything but he never will ever because he sucks anyway so we find out a couple things about Grundy in this scene because we were all just so curious about her life uh she trained at Juilliard and she tried out for a bunch of big symphonies but didn't even make it and she's like yeah I was I was terrible I didn't even get close I don't know what I was doing so that's but she she thinks that Archie can make it because she's a true tell of talent yeah I mean if this like person who played classical music and she couldn't even make it in symphonies I don't know where Archie is gonna go like (laughs) he has such minimal talent I think Archie's best chance is to get on one of those like singing TV shows and then have like America fall in love with his boyish uh, good looks yeah or to like go go on like The Bachelor and then be a hot guy and then get one of those gigs where he can like be on Dancing with the Stars for a little while and then like somehow turn that into a musical career it could happen something else that I thought about with Archie this episode is that his American accent you can tell he's definitely still getting into it because KJ Appa is New Zealander or he's from New Zealand and there was just some times where I was like wow he's really trying hard to make this American accent sound good. Yeah I I think he's he's okay there's definitely ones that are worse that I've heard but he's not he's not as good as you know like Saoirse Ronan at doing accents so. Nothing will ever be as bad as uh, Benedict Cumberbatch doing a Boston accent in Black Mass so I guess 
give everyone um, else a pass. I haven't seen that, but my favorite one, my my favorite go-to, like, not great American accent is um, Emma Watson in Perks of Being a Wallflower. There's, like, most of the time she's okay, but there's a couple lines. And there's one part where she's talking about going to Olive Garden, and she's like, yeah, we go to the Olive Garden. And I'm like, what are you doing? This is not an accent. <laughs> of my favorite things to quote um but anyway archie seems uh he he seems down with grundy he questions her about how their relationship will last and we don't really get any real answers she's kind of like hey boy live in the moment it's fine can't this just be a nice little daydream and i guess he's okay with it um but later on in the episode archie changes his tune once he finds out that grundy is not exactly who she says she is and this is my biggest beef with the whole grundy stuff is she tells him a story about how she was married to a man who would come home drunk and angry every night and beat her up and how one time she ended up in the emergency room with what like shattered collarbone and broken yeah, ribs. Yeah, ribs and a shattered collarbone, yeah. Yeah, and the thing is, it's not clear to us, the viewer, if she's telling the truth, if she's lying or what. And like, the issue I take with it is this kind of thing does happen. There are plenty of people who that is a real story for. And the fact that we aren't being told whether or not this is like, it, like if she is just using this as a story and this is is really not true and she's really just a child predator who moves around and changes her name then that's horrible you know that she's giving this story if this is the truth i'm not sure though from the audience perspective are we supposed to feel bad for her and this is like excusable that she's now you know sleeping with an underage kid you know i i don't really know where we're supposed to be looking at this from well and my perception of that situation was to me it seemed like she like flipped a switch like the minute she was caught she was like oh, I need to turn this on. And it didn't seem genuine to me. And so I don't believe that that's something that really happened to her. Um, I think that it came across as like, she's a little bit of a sociopath and she just needed to say something that would deflect Archie from his uh, mission to find everything out. And that was just like the first thing she thought of or maybe like a prepared story she's used before or maybe something that someone she knew in her life went through, but it just didn't come across as genuine to me. What do you think, Hannah? Yeah, I was thinking the same thing where- where, Mary, you mentioned, I don't know if this is supposed to be an excuse for her that because of her past, it is now okay for her to sleep with younger men um, because she's trying to find love, a a true love, or or trying to find some form of love, and maybe her her idea idea of love is now contorted because of the abuse that she went through. But it it is hard when we just get this one small story, and there's nothing we really have to corroborate her story. Not that abuse victims shouldn't come forward but it's just hard the way that it's delivered well right because i don't want to be doubting her if she is a victim of this circumstance but the way that it's portrayed on the show and the way that betty doubts her story and stuff makes it seem like she might be lying and and that would make her you know 10 times worse of a person if she's also lying about this but it's it's hard because you watch other shows where you have sort of the the villain type characters and then you find out something from their past and you're like oh this is the way they are and it doesn't exactly excuse it but it humanizes them a little bit for the other crimes they've committed so I'm just not sure which way we're supposed to take Grundy and I think that's why I don't like this plot line so much is it just it leaves a bad taste in my mouth of not knowing what I'm supposed to believe from this character um and you know you don't really get that all of this same type of element when you're when you're looking at some of these other shows we've talked about that have similar relationships such as Pretty Little Liars or whatever I don't think they also have kind of this uh questioning questioning all of their motives in life in a 
addition to just the relationship. Yeah, well, yes and no. But I think that the like the moral of all of it is like Riverdale is very much, they've shown time and time again, like believe people who come forward with stuff and that is absolutely the right thing to do. Um, And then I think that this is just a situation of them trying to be like, but life is complex and sometimes like things happen and it's just hard to tell with her because they've not given us any moment to actually trust her or find her truthful. So it's just easy to believe that she would be lying about this. Yeah. And that's on it's them. tricky. Yeah. It really is. I Like, I applaud them for bringing up um, tense topics, but I think I would, um, I mean, in life, you don't get all your questions answered. And so I shouldn't necessarily be expecting that from a TV show, which let's face it, doesn't necessarily answer all our questions all the time. Well, and it's just like when they dealt with like the slut shaming last time, it has moments where it's like, oh, they're handling this really well. And then it has moments where they handle it really, really poorly. And we can't expect them to be perfect unfortunately. Exactly. So Archie throughout the rest of the episode, he eventually does come to the conclusion that he probably should not be with Grundy based on the fact that he doesn't exactly know where who she is. And also I think more importantly, he doesn't really know where he expects this relationship to go. And he kind of realizes that, yeah, I am a kid and I should be hanging out with people my own age probably because she's kind of cutting him off from everyone else. And so he, he goes to say goodbye to her and gives her a new cello bow, which apparently he pawned one of his guitars for them one of his guitar how many guitars does Archie have he's a fledgling musician yeah and I I don't really know what to do with that like what was Fred just deciding that he's like a super supportive parent now and so he's just gonna buy as many guitars as possible like I don't like Archie what you doing like where did this come from did you notice that Hannah I did notice that he said he pawned one of his guitars and I thought it was weird and I also thought the whole cello bow was a weird gift too I guess she plays it enough, but she was she really loved the gift. And I was like, I wouldn't be happy if someone got me a cello bow. I don't know if they're expensive, but well, well, it just like, seemed weird. My impression was that this was like a very nice cello bow, like right. top of the line, best you could get. And I, again, have literally no knowledge <laughs> of music. So I don't know if it's like there's multiple different kinds or if there's like a certain preference for high level cello players or like maybe she had a crappy one and he bought her a really nice one. But Right. I think that there's, you can get different, uh, the strings of it can be different and that can change the sound quality. I did play violin growing up. So that's where I think you, you can get nicer bows, but I don't remember them being super expensive. Obviously the most expensive part is the actual instrument itself, mm-hmm. but I think the bow can make a difference. Yeah. Maybe it's like, I, I don't know. I played the saxophone and I know like reeds, if you had different types of reeds, you could get slightly different sound, but yeah. Cause I know my friend, plays viola and he was like in chamber orchestra so his like viola itself was worth like forty thousand dollars but whoa i don't i don't know how much the bow is i guess right. i could text him wow i could <laughs> i could pay off like three cars with that kind yeah of well no he like <laughs> it was like he was doing a degree in music he was in the chamber mm. orchestra and he was also playing with like some traveling orchestras occasionally when they needed a backup oh, like wow. he was like he's very very talented um his like, he should be the riverdale music teacher <laughs> Well, actually, I think he just did a degree in education, too. I haven't talked to him in years, but he has a music degree and an education degree, so he could go to Riverdale and he could uh, teach music. Yeah, because the kids spend so much time in class. Yeah, Mm. absolutely. (laughs) They're in school all the time. So this beautiful gift exchange is broken up, though, by Alice, Betty, and Fred storming in. Well, actually, I mean, Alice storms in. The other two just kind of follow her. Um, And (laughs) Alice is yelling at everyone and, you know, calling out what pretty much, I mean, everyone in the room knows 
knows what's going on except for Fred, who I guess is hearing about this for the first time. So Fred's handling it really well. If I was a parent, I mean, I don't know. If I was a parent of a teenage boy and found out that he's hooking up with his music teacher, I would be like, wow, this is weird. I almost wanted a little scene where Fred's like, oh, shoot, guess we're not dating anymore. Because I think he was kind of into Grundy. (laughs) Yes, I definitely got that feeling from the first part. Yeah, it's so awkward. But the whole thing is kind of just summed up by Betty, basically. It like turns into Betty threatening her mom that like she will let everyone know all the bad things that she's done and that the town will think her family is crazy. And I don't know. They come to a consensus that Grundy's just going to leave town and no one's going to know. So yay. Solved. You know, honestly, as as long as she leaves, I guess that's fine. But it's just uncomfortable knowing that wherever she goes, she's probably going to find a 16-year-old boy to hook up with um, because she is a predator. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, It's kind of sad, but it happens. At least she's um, off of our screens now. Bye. Yeah. Yeah. Archie seems a little bit choked up about the whole thing. But from what we see at the end of the episode, yep, Grundy leaves town and she's already, she's already looks like she's hitting on some other boys or at least noticing them. She's got the Slurpee in hand, the heart sunglasses back. I couldn't believe it. I was, I was like, oh, you know, maybe it was just that one time thing. And then we see that scene again where she's getting into her car and it's just like, what? Again? Really? Already? All she she knows how to do. Although I will say, I was impressed with the fact that she was able to pack all her stuff up and leave town in one night. That's impressive. I don't think I could pack up a single room even if I stayed up all night. I have a lot of stuff. Well, you just need to be a faster packer. I packed up my whole house to move in 12 hours. Um, Yeah, that's impressive. Well, and it was a disaster, but that's my own (laughs) procrastination's fault. The other thing is, is we know that she does identity theft, so maybe she does other theft too, and she didn't really need to bring everything because it wasn't all hers. That's an interesting theory. I want to see Miss Grundy going and cat burglaring some houses. Cat burglaring. I would love to see uh, Mrs. Grundy burgle some stuff. Yeah, so I don't know what to think of Grundy, but I'm just hoping that she leaves town for a while and we don't see her again. So moving on to the the Betty stuff from this episode. Yes, Betty. Yeah. So even though Jughead and Archie seem pretty confident that Betty's not going to be trying to like out him in a article in the newspaper, she is still trying to interview Grundy and at least get to the bottom of this. And we find out a little bit more about Grundy through this super awkward interview. We've got like that Grundy worked at Seaside High and Centerville High, you know, more generic high school names. And I don't know, Betty is just super transparent here that she's trying to get information about like boys or something because she asks if Grundy has ever done independent study before like she's doing with Archie. And we find out that she has twice before last year, she worked with Tomoko Yoshido, I think, and Jason Blossom. And that's when Betty's kind of like, ooh, Jason Blossom. You mean the one who died? He was pretty cute, hey? That's the only info we get though about like Jason at all in this episode is just his name dropped there. And um, so it kind of cracks me up though. Like, so Jason was another football player and musical prodigy. Okay. And probably um, hooking up with his teacher. And it's so creepy that Betty's like, he was cute, hey? Like, what does she think Mrs. Grundy's going to say? And also, Jason Blossom wasn't cute. He was terrifying. <laughs> Uh, well, you know, you got to give props to Grundy. Like, she really stepped it up between Jason and Archie. She Archie's really a has cuter. a type, okay? It's redheads with musical and football skills. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, Betty and Veronica tell Archie that Grundy is sketch. Um, and they're like, yeah, we looked her up on Facebook and LinkedIn. And they were all just made in the past year. So, she's weird. And we found this only... The other person we found named Geraldine Grundy was like a woman who died seven years ago. Uh, which is kind of a cool little, I guess, throwback to the comic 
comics of like that is a lot more like what Miss Grundy looked like in the comic books was that that clipping mm-hmm. from the article um there's a pretty funny parts where Archie is just like how did you find out this information and Veronica says oh yeah we were on the deep web dark internet and she's like never mind we were just googling stuff like it's super easy duh Archie it's Facebook they already told you like the <laughs> sites it's not that hard to find <laughs> well Archie's not good in the brain so no he's not and then he does one of my least favorite cliches from tv shows and movies and stuff which is like the if you were really my friend you would let this go like no no if you were really my friend you wouldn't let this stuff go <sighs> Archie sucks it's annoying. He does. well he does and the the one redeeming uh part of this episode with Archie is that he does admit that he is stupid and this is all his fault uh, <laughs> yeah. so that was that was a really uh yeah he said he's he's selfish and stupid and, and so, I was like yes you are yep exactly <laughs> and then Betty and Veronica they tell him that they're gonna drop it but they don't and they go break into his car uh coolest part of this is the fact that Betty like knows how to break into cars based on the fact that she works on cars with her dad um which is another thing from the comic book so that's kind of cool that they included that well and she is able to break into a car in about three and a half seconds so very impressed with Betty I would like to see her be a cat burglar yeah definitely um but no they find a lockbox which contains a gun and a real ID I guess for Grundy and her name is actually Jennifer Gibson and I did some math there and based on when this was filmed she was 35 years old so yes it is completely sketch that her and Archie are together she's like 20 years older Ooh. than him Good sleuthing. Disgusting. Um, And here's the thing. If she's stealing identities and she's supposed to be like good at stuff or whatever, why is she keeping this in her car? Keep your lockbox like under your bed or something where only the people you trust will be able to ever find it. Like it just, I feel like criminals normally would be more suspicious than to just leave stuff in their car like that. Yeah. Yeah. She's not great at hiding things. She's not great at being a criminal, but she's really good at being a sexual predator. Yeah. And, um, um, then Betty and Veronica tell Archie about this and he's like I don't get it who is she and Veronica says obviously some sketch queen named Jennifer Gibson uh, I like her referring to her as a sketch queen that's kind of fun sketch um, queen is a relatable content yeah. uh, and so Betty just like really laying down the truth to Archie you know you're in a relationship that's cutting you off from everyone else in your life which is so true I mean mostly it cut him off from Jughead but him and Jughead seem to be chill again so actually at this point I'm not really sure who else he cutting off but but the, the initial part of the relationship wasn't great yeah not not ideal and um then unfortunately alice who's putting betty's clothes away finds the gun so i guess betty not only did she discover this gun she just stole it straight up stole it so that's great well then when she found it she touched it too and i'm like who knows you know that there was a gunshot we know it's probably not or she knows that it was dilton doily who shot it on fourth of july but we also know that jason was shot what if mrs grundy shot jason because he was going to tell everybody else about their affair you don't know what could have gone on with this gun why are you touching it and then she steals it that's so that's terrible why does she do this this is just another indicator of betty not being like the sweet good girl that we expect her to be then we find out that alice has also read her diary which like betty if you know you have a mother who like snoops through your room and stuff maybe don't write all this important information in your diary um and and what was written in her diary was basically like her hunt that Grundy and Archie were together. So after Betty comes home, Alice just grabs her and that's when they go and get Fred and storm into the um, into the school and find Archie and, and Grundy together. It would have been kind of funny if like Archie and Grundy weren't actually together at that time. Not really sure what they would have done, but Alice got lucky with that scenario. Or it's just a TV show, so we're just <laughs> supposed to accept it and get it and move on. 
Yeah. Yeah, whatever. Uh, but then Alice uh, discuss- or talks with Betty at the end of the episode. She doesn't want there to be any more secrets between the two of them because there were so many secrets that Polly kept from her. And Betty's like, yo, mom, I'm not Polly for the last time. And Archie is not Jason. So get over it and move on. And we, the audience, is still like, what the heck kind of secrets did Polly keep from uh, her mom? We-, we have no idea what any of that really is still. So just teasing us with this non-information. Yeah, it's just like literally nothing. But I assume we'll find out. At least they're still mentioning it. So we know it's coming eventually. And yeah, that was pretty much it for the Betty stuff. She texts Archie and is like, I'm sorry. And he's like, it's okay. We're still friends. So yay. Just case closed on that one. Moving on. And so if you notice at this point, we still have not really talked about the drive-in very much because despite the fact that that seemed like Jughead's business, Veronica, Kevin, and Cheryl are really the ones who we even see go to the drive-in. Like, you know, Betty and Archie, Jughead's friends, they don't even really go. So they're not even supporting him on his last day of need because they've got all this other junk going on. Betty might have planned to go. Yeah, because Alice took her away. So she might have wanted to go and then that got interrupted. Because she actually was the one who suggested the movie they ended up playing at the drive-in closing too, which was cute. Right, uh, Rebel Without a Cause. Yeah. Which I have not seen, but it looked like a fun time, I guess. I don't know. I mean, like I I like some older movies, but if it's like the closing of the drive-in, you'd think they want to play, I don't know, the biggest movie around at the time. Yeah, you would think, but apparently Jughead is just like fully in charge of the drive-in. So he gets to make all of the decisions on what movie plays and when. Like if they don't have any recent movies, then it kind of makes sense why they're going out of business. Yeah, we don't really know like who owns the drive-in at this point. Uh, Clearly someone who doesn't mind selling it, but he's, yeah, he really does seem to be like the only one in charge of, he's in charge of promoting it, picking the movie, showing the movie, everything. So not really sure if there are any adults involved, but it's a TV show. So probably not, probably just teenagers. But Cheryl starts off by being kind of, I don't know, she's she's had beef with Hermione for whatever reason. And she's kind of making fun of the fact that Hermione is working at Pops. But like Cheryl is openly drinking alcohol in Pops and pouring it into her drinks. <laughs> so they're not even like trying to hide it and do it under the table. They're just hanging out there. Like Hermione could easily just take that away from her, but she doesn't. Uh, and then and then Cheryl sees Hermione arguing with a serpent outside behind Pops at the beginning of the episode. And I, the best part of this is just her calling her friends hair models of the damned. So yeah, I, that was weird. I don't uh, really know what that means, to be honest. Yeah. But Cheryl tells Veronica, you know, like, oh my gosh, your mom was meeting with a South Side serpent. That's so weird. And Veronica just tells her like, you may be a stock character from a 90s team movie, but I'm not. Which <laughs> is kind of like quintessential Riverdale, again, like calling out the tropes that it knows are happening. Like they know that she- Veronica, I mean, they know that Cheryl is an over the top, like teenage villain, but they're just still gonna roll with it anyway. And so yeah. much. I just, I don't Did know. Did you like her outfits this uh, episode though? Th- I, they weren't as notable. Like she always looks good, but they weren't as memorable as like episode two where I was like, yes, every look is great. She's serving. <laughs> she had a really nice ponytail in that scene. I do recall noticing that. It was one of those ponytails where like it looks like you have hair that is be acting as the ponytail holder, mm. if that makes yeah. sense. Um, I never, so I, I never really could uh, master that. No, I always wanted to, time. but it never turned out well. Yeah. Kevin's all bummed because he wants to go to the drive-in with a date. He wants to kiss someone while watching a movie. Typical teenage stuff. And we feel for Kevin. I just like when he asks if he can borrow the truck, his dad's like, aren't there any nice gay boys at your school? And he's like, yeah, me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know. I know. It's so sad. I mean, Riverdale's a small town, but I guess, uh, I guess he's the only one and it's, it's a bummer for Kevin. We also get, he's the one who tells us our first real description of who the Southside Serpents are, because Veronica doesn't know, obviously. And he says, they're a gang of bikers who pretty much stay on the south side of town. 
town and thank God because they're the kind they're kind of dangerous drug dealers and petty thieves. So I don't know if we're like this is clouded by the fact that he's the sheriff's son that that's his perspective because I don't really know if he's like met a whole lot of serpents you know before this episode. Um, maybe it's just kind of like the thing that he hears from his dad from doing work and stuff. Yeah, that's, I, that's what I would assume. I think so. Um, but yeah, so Hermione is at home drinking wine and Veronica asks her, you know, hey, what's the deal with like Cheryl saw you talking to a Southside serpent? It sounds like you guys were arguing and Hermione just kind of blows off. He's like, oh, we are friends, you know, like he made a lewd comment. I put him in his place. It's it's chill. You don't need to worry about me, which um, I guess is like semi the truth in terms of the fact that Veronica doesn't really need to be worrying about her mom. She kind of has it handled. But yeah, we but find uh, out. I don't know. It's just bizarre. Um, We find out that Hermione, though, like we the reason she's having all these dealings with the serpents is because she is giving money to Mayor McCoy for her re-election campaign and in return Lodge Industries is being allowed to buy the drive-in and Mayor McCoy is sort of facilitating that deal. So there's definitely some sort of below the table. Yeah, below the table deals here that are going on. Yeah, um, under absolutely. The table. And then under the table. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I wasn't, I was just gonna let you go with it. I don't know what I was gonna go with. I, I was letting you guys go with below the table. I was like, you know what? I'm just gonna let this happen and it'll be really cute. Uh, it's also like, obviously any money that they have with Lodge Industries is certainly illegal because I would assume as he is a, like in jail for fraud and embezzlement or whatever, um, he would have had his assets frozen and that's why they had to move to Riverdale because it was the only property that was in Hermione's name. So all of this is illegal and Mayor McCoy should probably not be uh, a part of this. Well, and yeah. she doesn't want anyone to find out. And what I thought was interesting is she notes, especially the Blossoms. So hopefully we find out some more about the reasoning behind that. Yeah, yeah. Um, but like you were mentioning earlier, Kevin asked his dad to borrow the truck and the key other part of this scene is that we discover that Sheriff Keller has a wall in his home office dedicated to the Jason Blossom murder with a bunch of pictures on it and so murder wall. Every CW show needs a murder wall and we've got yeah. one. Hermione tells Smithers that she's going to go to the drive-in with Fred and they're together there and they're kind of talking about like how they went to a drive-in when they were kids together in high school and apparently they kissed. So just a little more information on the fact that they had a short sounding romance together but it was a uh, it was I don't know I can't really picture them together still like I I don't know how much Hermione changed after high school but she doesn't seem to be she seems like she would have still been out of Fred's league when they were in high school yeah absolutely there's no way that she has ever been in the same league as Fred Andrews and I feel like they don't really have that much chemistry like even like the actors yeah not really I don't know Fred's kind of wooden and Hermione is like a little bit too fancy like when she's having her conversation with Smithers it's just sort of weird like she makes a joke about how she's an old crone and he's like oh you're not an old crone and she's like yeah obviously I'm not an old crone Smithers duh I'm like freaking hot like it's just kind of weird <laughs> that conversation like he was trying to say something nice and she just threw it back at him she's like oh, I well. know Smithers yeah but... and that's when Alice shows up and is like hey sorry to interrupt your adultery Fred I love that and he's like what is going on Alice and she's like it's about the kids Fred get out of the car <laughs> so he just leaves I don't know why he has to get out of the car and go with her like why can't he just like drive his car well, away Hermione gets to finish the movie okay <laughs> whatever we never find out like what happened did he like leave her a note did he call her or like text her or something I hope that he at least told her where he was going I hope he didn't yeah uh meanwhile Cheryl <laughs> is crashing Veronica and Kevin's truck party and they're just kind of I don't know they're all just sitting there trying to watch a movie annoyed with the South Side serpents who are making a lot of noise Veronica yells at them and like threatens to step on them or something it's kind of like I don't know it's just another one of these TV moments where everything that comes out of Veronica's mouth 
itself is just so like laughably over the top like no no biker gang is going to be threatened by a little girl being like I'm gonna step on you with my Louboutin pills like, it's not a thing that's gonna happen but lucky for her she also sees her mom sneak behind where the serpents are to uh to do some kind of deals and uh they send Kevin away to get some more to get some more snacks he's like can I get a hot dog and they say they have no hot dogs and it's kind of funny that whole well scene. then he says of course of course yeah fi- figures um, yeah but that was one thing that I wanted to mention about the drive-in that I went to too the snacks were ridiculously cheap comparatively to the uh, to movie theaters oh yeah oh yeah it's so great. that was a really nice add-in. He's just like, yeah, let me just get all of these snacks. And it's actually probably only cost him $5. Yeah. And of course, Cheryl needs like cherry Coke because yeah. she's just really sticking cherry. with this red thing. Yeah. Well, she, it, it tastes good with whatever uh, alcohol she's mixing it with. Oh, that's probably true, actually. I could totally see her dumping like fireball into that. So, um, But yeah, Hermione is giving money over to the serpents and they're kind of having a tense conversation. Veronica sees all this. And then we get a great scene where it looks like you see like Kevin getting beat up but then he's not getting beat up he's just making out with someone so that was really great loved that and we find out that he's making out with a serpent named Joaquin so beautiful blue-eyed Joaquin is here I just love how he's like wait like Sheriff Keller is that and he's like oh is that a problem and he like shows his tattoo and he's like I won't tell if you don't tell because he's just so thirsty (laughs) like yeah Yeah, Thirsty Kevin is kind of like one of the bigger plot lines of season one that is is interesting. Um, But yeah, so Kevin and Sherrod Keller come home at the end of the drive-in and they find that the house was broken into and all of the evidence on the murder wall was stolen. Oh my God. Which, why would he be keeping it at his house instead of at the sheriff's station where there's deputies around and more people and less likely to have someone break in? So it doesn't make sense, that part of it too. Because like, Having a home office is more fun. Maybe he works from home occasionally. But why is the sheriff working from home? I feel like that's a job where you should not be able to work from home. Well, like, I don't know what the, you know, how big the jail is or whatever. Like, maybe there's just not room for him to have a huge office there. Hmm. I don't know. We don't know. Um, But yeah, so Veronica confronts Hermione at the end of the episode and she tells the truth. Hiram brought the drive-in, paid the serpents to trash it and devalue the land. And Hiram is doing all this from jail. He has long reach and they sunk all this money into the deal so veronica's a little bit upset i think she kind of discovered that like oh yeah you know how my dad's been rich my whole life it's probably was kind of shady and maybe he deserves to be in jail for this it's kind of creepy yeah and especially that's emphasized by hermione being like did you like our apartment that faced central park did you like all the nice stuff we had you're gonna have to grow up and deal with it yeah although i do think like veronica can live without that like clearly she's you know riverdale's not new york city and so she doesn't really seem to be caring too much about a lot of that like she's wearing nice clothes and things, but I, I don't think that she would be devastated if she didn't. She's not Cheryl. I don't know. I think she has a different personality, but I don't know. And so that was pretty much leads us to the end of the episode, the very last scene where we see Jughead packing up and leaving the drive-in and he has, he takes some stuff with him and we see that he has a little picture of him and Jellybean. Which and looks nothing like him. I think it, yeah, it's yeah, not a very really realistic like younger <laughs> version of him. Even as a kid, he was wearing the beanie, so that's cute and uh so we know that he has a sister but we haven't seen her in the show so don't know where that wonder has to do with wonder where she is i wonder um and and then he leaves graffiti on the outside of the booth that says jughead was here and a little crown which i liked except for the like was here part because i don't think he would write 
it that way. Like Jughead uses correct well, grammar and, and spelling. He, here's the other thing about Jughead. I feel like he's supposed to be this like artsy guy. And so I feel like if he was actually tagging stuff, he would probably have like a really sick tag and it wouldn't look like absolute garbage like this did. Yeah, as was a bummer. But but now we discover, oh my gosh, most important part of the episode. Remember that serpent guy who was doing the weird deals with Hermione? That's his dad. Dun, 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 dun. dun. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> And um, I don't know. It's like, it's kind of cool. It's a kind of cool scene. A little bit of an interesting reveal. I definitely didn't see it coming the first time I watched the episode, um, but I'm, I'm down with it. I like it. And gives some more, you know, dimensionality to Jughead's character. We also find out he was basically living in the drive end. And so he has his dad, but he's not living with his dad and he doesn't appear to be going to go live with him now. I think that it gives a lot more depth to why he was defending the drive end so much because he this is his home. This is where he's staying. Not only is it is income and his livelihood but he has nowhere else to go if he can't save this drive-in um and i also liked the conversation that they had with his dad where they're saying you know maybe they'll move the unit into museum and i just thought their banter was very cute at the end of the episode well and i also got the impression from it that he could go live with his dad but he doesn't want to and based on how kevin looks at the serpents it's probably the view of other people in town as well and so he probably doesn't want to be associated with those people even if people know that that this serpent is his dad. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's it's definitely very interesting. And, and I don't know if we know if like Archie and some other people who clearly have probably met Jughead's family in the past, I don't know if they know that he's a serpent. It, it's kind of hard to tell like who knows what at this point because no one has brought up the serpents to Jughead. So we don't know. Interesting. Good episode overall, I think. Yeah, I think one. it's probably the best one so far. I agree. I think so. I mean, I, I think there's some stuff to be said about how the first episode pulls you in a little bit more but overall if you're really examining the content I think I liked this one a little better there were there were moments from episode one I really like I really like the opening to episode one but I love the ending of this episode even with Grundy like driving away and you can tell that she's still a hashtag sketch queen I think that it like you know it's it's she's leaving but it's still a little bit of a cliffhanger there's still some intrigue there yeah I feel, I feel like it's like setting us up for a lot more even though this episode was more of a standalone it kind of gives us the foundation for like the group dynamics moving forward. Definitely. All right. Well, let's go through a couple things. First off, the title of this episode, The Last Picture Show, was a 1951 movie about a group of high schoolers and they come to age in a bleak, isolated Western Texas town that is slowly dying, both culturally and economically. So I think that is most obviously seen in the drive-in dying. And, you know, we got a lot of this episode about how, like, there's going to be a new Riverdale and Hiram wants to hurry on whatever this version of the new Riverdale he wants is. Yeah, and I'm I'm at a loss. I don't really understand what he wants. And how is he going to continue to do this from jail? Yeah. Is a he, very good question. And and we don't know why Hiram cares about Riverdale. He, right. you know, he hasn't even lived there yet to our knowledge. So, kind of interesting. So, our new character from this episode that was mentioned was Tomoko Yoshido, and I looked them up out of curiosity. Tomoko Yoshido is actually a character from the Archie comics, and um, from my perspective, I was I was assuming that this character was a boy that Grundy had tutored in the past just because it's listed you know th- this character is listed among Archie and Jason Blossom but uh, at least from the Archie comics she is, is a female who was has been part of Archie comics since the 1990s so more recent in its history um, she's a teen reporter with cartoonism as her hobby and it says that you know she appears sometimes alongside Betty Cooper and Veronica Lodge as just another one of the girls so that's 
was kind of interesting. Yeah, that's nice to see. I don't think Joaquin was from the comics, but I could be wrong. Well, did they have the Southside Serpents in the comics? Um, I don't think there was gang activity in the Archie comics, to be honest with you. Um, I do not see, yeah, uh, Joaquin DeSantos, I do not see as being someone from Archie comics. I, uh, looks like just Riverdale. Definitely a new character that we met, but we don't have a whole lot of history going forward on that one. Uh, no close but no cigars that I could find this episode. Kind of a bummer. Still a lot of pop culture references, though. Kevin refers to the murder wall as, like, a true detective wall. They mention Netflix. They mention a lot of movies throughout this episode. And let's see. So what do we have for cringiest part of the episode? Surprisingly, not a super cringy episode. Not too much going on here. Um, I would say the cringiest moment is the homemade drive-in. Or, (laughs) alternatively, Miss Grundy eyeing up more underage boys at the end. Yeah. Yeah. The one that I had is uh, the breakup. So there was a point where right before Alice barges in on them, they look like they're about to do like a breakup kiss. And I just, it was so bad. I was like, no, don't kiss her. You're breaking up. You're so close to being done. So I was kind of like cringing at that. But yeah, definitely. I think the eyeing the other boys. I I think think it's probably, I probably agree. It's probably eyeing the boys. Although the other one that came to mind is Veronica yelling at the serpents. (laughs) I just found that to be really And like everyone cheers. It's like, shut up. Yeah. Actually, yeah. oh gosh, can we have a tie? I think Veronica yelling at them and, and Grundy RGF. eyeing them. Yeah. I think that so, ties. Veronica yelling at serpents and Grundy being a sketch queen. All right. Um, What about the most normal player of the week? Player. Most normal person. Most of the week. normal player of the week. Um, I think maybe Kevin. I vote for Alice and I really thought she was the MVP of this episode. She had some really good scenes that I enjoyed. The snooping mom and then immediately going in to her journal and then trying to get everything figured out because hey this person is a predator in our town and we need to get rid of her okay yeah when you really think about it with that angle she's so true because like fred andrews comes across as being more calm except like dude your son is hooking up with a woman 20 years older and alice does like she comes across a little bit neighborhood watchy but also like she has a point (laughs) so that's true fair for her own character and i i agree with kevin except we already gave kevin (laughs) for season episode one we have kevin Kevin's the, the most normal, normal person. person of the show, okay? <laughs> right. Well, he can't win that that many times, so well, I'd say we hold off on Kevin. It's but. a personal attack, but I'm ex- I I will accept <laughs> Alice Cooper. <laughs> All right. All right. Well, I think that's pretty much it for this section before we get into spoilers. So thank you for listening. If you don't want to hear any spoilers, go ahead and stop listening now. But we will do our little spoiler intro so you know last last chance to get away. Uh, get out now. <laughs> yeah. Uh, thank you for listening though and we'll be back next time for our recap of episode 5 until then you can follow me online at Frail Mary on every platform and you can follow Kirsten at Kirsten said what and Hannah at Hannah with four N's but only one H (laughs) Hannah V-E is that right? yeah and the H is at the beginning and please send your suggestions for a new Instagram handle for (laughs) Hannah please I actually went through and tried an underscore and it didn't it, it was already taken i did try some other ones but nothing nothing stuck. nothing yet yeah so h-a-n-n-n-n-a-v-e okay got it. Yeah. and that's on instagram you can check out everything that we have on kowskicast.com that's cow with a k and you are welcome to give us five
five-star ratings and reviews on iTunes. Looks like we just got another rating, so thank you for that. Um, If you leave a review, we will read them on the podcast for you if you're interested. So thank you for that. And you can also tweet at us any kind of questions or comments you have if you're doing a rewatch or if you want clarification on anything because you haven't watched the show again but you just want to listen to the podcast, that's fine too. All right, now we are going to move into spoilers. Get it out. This out. Leave. So now we are in the spoiler section. Hopefully, if you are here, you are all caught up with everything from up to season three. So I have a couple things I want to talk about. A lot of it has to do with the serpents. It is just so hard watching these older episodes and then picturing where the serpents are at now. It makes me so sad because like the serpents here when they're trashing the drive-in, they're mostly adults with the exception of Joaquin. They all appear to be adults. They're rowdy. They look like a legit biker gang. They're, you know, not, (laughs) not like just a group of like three kids run by Jughead. They uh, do criminal activity such as sell drugs. So, but really guys, like, isn't it so depressing that the the serpents now are just like a bunch of kids being ruled run by, by a kid? Yeah. It's Ugh. so weird. Like, where did the other adults go? I don't also, know. Also, RIP Joaquin. <laughs> How mad did this episode make you, Mary, that Jughead lost his job? It made me upset that Jughead lost his job, but it made me like more happy that jo- uh, that FP appears to have a job. <laughs> yeah. So the serpent's job is to trash the drive-in, so they're doing a good job. Yeah. Well, I mean, we, we legitimately saw FP getting money. That yeah. made me so happy. <laughs> okay, here's another one. Did you know that the kid who is working the concession stand, it's the same actor who plays Benjamin Button later? What? No. Yeah. That's I'm cool. Sure. Oh I know. God. I don't know if that's like supposed to be the same character or not, but it's definitely the same actor. Oh, so wow. I thought that was pretty interesting. Um, he doesn't really do much or say anything besides give Kevin a couple weird looks, but I thought that was interesting. Um, it's, yeah, it's, I don't know. It's just really fun thinking of Hermione and FP and watching these scenes with them knowing that they were not just like they went to school together, but that they were playing Griffins and Gargoyles together. And they even have a moment in that flashback episode where it like almost seemed like they were going to kiss at that one point. Mm-hmm. So Well, and I think that their chemistry was so much better than what we ever see with Fred ever. Because yeah. the Andrews boys are just terrible. They're horrible. Why are they so horrible? Oh, yeah, it's really bad. It's really bad. Um, And the way that FP is standing at the very end of the episode, he sort of has like one arm behind his back and like one hand down. Uh, Cole Sprouse definitely tries to imitate that same stance when in the flashback episode. So check that out. Yeah, there's probably side by side picture somewhere. Um, He does a really good job. And I know we talked about it in that episode, but Cole, do- Cole Sprouse does probably the best job of like imitating the same mannerisms as their person that they're playing. It's almost like he has the most acting experience out of the children. Exactly. <laughs> Almost. Almost. <laughs> Um, yeah, so I, I sort of talked about this before, but I don't know if anyone else knows at this point that FP is Jughead's dad, like if that character is, because I know Veronica's the only one, Veronica and Cheryl, I guess, are the only ones who really see him and they're just say some Southside serpent. They mm-hmm. don't appear to know that that's FP Jones. Yeah. I would think at least Archie knows for sure, because FP worked at Andrew's construction. Yeah, so yeah, maybe later- the Andrew's people are the only ones who know. Yeah, but there's definitely an episode later in season one where Archie finds out for the first time that Jughead's dad is a serpent. So I don't know. But like they make it seem like he's been a serpent his whole life, you know? 
No, he, well, well, we know he was he trying not to be, remember? Right, but like definitely back when Archie and Jughead were kids together. Oh, well, I would assume right. that I they know. were hiding the criminal activity from the children as much as possible. Maybe. Maybe he just like didn't wear the jacket at home. I don't know. But I would assume he has a tattoo, right? Does FP have a serpent tattoo? I'm sure it's probably, I I, I guess it's it's probably on his shoulder, right? Or we, So we should probably we get it. serpents tattoos too, right? Us three? Yeah, I mean, I think so. I think that's that sounds probably like the most reasonable thing we could possibly be let's doing. Let's do it. Let's get podcast. serpent tattoos. <laughs> I do, thought we were getting do one Riverdale uh, podcast. I do look good in a leather jacket. So, oh yeah, we are. Are we gonna get those? Yeah, I thought we were gonna get the jackets. I, I think I'm more comfortable with the jackets than the. I serpent just, I was looking for something a little more permanent. But if you guys want to be mm. babies about it, then mm. fine. We'll just get a jacket. As long as we can make sure we get the old style jacket, the one that. Oh like, wait, no. FK can we what get if like we... the denim vest that they had at that one point? <laughs> The one that like Fangs wears, yes. Like the biker, the biker vest, no, but it's like a denim. denim vest. I'm look, I'm fine with that. I just don't like the really stupid circle serpent logo. I like the S one. Well, we can figure this out offline. Okay. I think that we could get milkshake tattoos. <laughs> milkshake I, I'm not getting a milkshake tattoo. <laughs> I feel like a milkshake tattoo is much more reasonable than a serpent tattoo. I just, I need to figure out something to get tattooed on my front forearm because I know I really want a tattoo there. And so I'm just, you could do an arrow and be like Machen and uh, Lily. Oh, does Machen have one of those too? Yeah, they both have one. I'm not doing that. In the same, in the same space. No, I'm not doing that. Um, well, anyway, now that we've completely just diverted our conversation, <laughs> did you guys have anything else to talk about spoiler-wise? That was really Yeah, I, f- I feel like this episode doesn't really connect with the larger spoiler plot, so. Yeah. Well, other than Hiram. Right. I th- so his takeover of the South Side, and we're getting the first taste <gasps> of his eventual takeover in the prison that'll be built, so. Even though we haven't actually seen a prison built, even now that it is season three. I mean, the beginning of season one, he buys the land and i mean the construction happens later in season one but then all throughout season two and you know we've gotten almost halfway through season three still no prison that we've seen i think the construction is mostly for the demolition yeah that's all we see we just see demolition we don't see anything get built because obviously the plans for the prison are like the entire south side of town pretty much so i don't really know when they'll start construction on that if ever well we'll find out all right well that's pretty much it for this episode i think yeah and uh, glad that we got to talk about that. It always always makes my day having some some girl chat time. It's only thirty <laughs> minutes longer than what you wanted us to record. <laughs> That's okay. I know I'm so antsy. I'm gonna go watch a movie for my family. But okay, what movie? Rebel Without a Cause? No, no. Oh, I thought something. that was the only movie. Are you gonna watch it on a projector with a film reel? <laughs> I am, and I'm going to turn it into a silent film. Okay, perfect. It's be great. Oh, and also just to uh, I know we talked about Cheryl underage drinking. We do not un- condone. <laughs> Drinking. I should do. adhere by all laws in your local area as far as drinking is concerned. Thank no, you. we don't condone underage drinking, but we do condone cat burglary. <laughs> <laughs> this has gone too far. All right. <laughs> Thanks, everyone. Talk to you next time. Okay. Bye. Bye. <coughs> <coughs> okay. Dying over here. It's about the kids, Fred.